0: Good morning everyone and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May twenty ninth, two thousand and twenty two. The share ID numbers for Friday, May twenty seventh are the following. For the seven AM Eastern Big Book Study, eighteen thousand nine hundred and ninety seven. That's one eight nine nine seven. And for the ten AM Eastern Big Book Study, nineteen thousand and two. That's one nine zero zero two. This morning a vision for you presents big book recovery simplicity, structure, and results. We come to Overeaters Anonymous as a result of the suffering and frustration we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. We felt hopelessness when we tried to control our problems with food and eating. We felt despair trying every diet and used many methods to control our body size without success we could not enjoy life because of our obsession with food and weight we could not stop eating too much when we really wanted to we felt shame and humiliation about our behavior with food beaten into a state of reasonableness we come to the realization that we are doomed This experience of powerlessness becomes the driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will release us from the shackles of our disease. We come to Overeaters Anonymous looking for a way out, a solution which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps quickly and effectively. It's not a book of theory or philosophy. It offers a clear step-by-step approach for your recovery. It enables us to really and fully understand the twofold nature of our problem. It presents a clear, practical solution to the problem, And it shows us how to implement that solution through the 12-step program of action it clearly describes. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. We submit to a simple process that is not easy. Yet it does take us to a place we've never been. Joining this, us this morning to elaborate on this topic is Stephen G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Canada. Stephen is dedicated to our 12 step way of life, and he's here to share his experience, strength, and hope with all of us today. And it's with great appreciation I welcome Stephen G. to the line. Good morning, Stephen.
1: Good morning, Leah. Thank you very much uh, for that wonderful introduction, and uh, thank you for inviting me uh, to this opportunity to do service. And thank you for everybody for being here on this early morning. Um, I'm Stephen G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And uh, the topic of my um, my talk today is big book recovery, simplicity structure, and results. And so I'm going to start by giving you a a brief introduction uh, about myself. Uh, Then I'm going to explain in a little bit more detail the title of my talk. Uh, Then I'm going to go on and share a little bit of my experience of the disease of compulsive overeating and how I got to Overeaters Anonymous. And then I'm going to move on and talk about my experience of the individual steps and do a few, make a few references uh, to the big book. And then finally, I'm gonna summarize with a few key points that I've learned uh, through my experience um, of working the 12 steps. So briefly about me, um, I'm 49 years old. I came into Overeaters Anonymous uh, about 12 years ago. Uh, My my disease of compulsive overeating, uh, one of the main symptoms was obesity. And uh, my peak weight was about 300 pounds. I had gained and lost 50-plus pounds countless number of times, 10 or more times, using the tools that I knew of because I thought I was a normal person. So I had used diet, restricting, exercise, and I was out of ideas. And I came into Overeaters Anonymous. Um, About five years ago, I discovered... Uh, the vision for you meetings and the focus on the big book as the source of instructions for recovery. And it revolutionized my experience of recovery and changed my life completely. And uh, so the reason it did that are for the reasons that I've, I've stated in my title, because it's simple, because it's very structured and because it produces results. And I'll talk about what I mean by that. So with respect to simplicity, what I needed to learn to hear is I'm a complicated person. I, uh, my thinking is very complicated. And I respond best to a simple message. And the simple message was the nature of the disease and the nature of the solution. And so it was explained to me when I came to Vision for You. First of all, I heard the concept of the word recovered which I had never heard uh, up until that point in seven plus years uh, of being in a 12 step program. When in fact it is on the first page of the title page of the original book with the instructions of how to recover from addiction is recovered. Uh, I came into uh, vision for you and I heard those words. So the, uh, the nature of the problem was number one, I have an allergy of the body and number two, an obsession of the mind. My body responds abnormally to certain alcoholic foods, ingredients, and eating behaviors. When I start, I can't stop. But I also have an obsession of the mind. So no matter how often I stop, no matter how much damage the food has done to me, I will always start again. So allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. This disease is permanent, it's progressive, and it's fatal. I needed to hear that. Then the nature of the solution, again, presented to me in very simple terms. Number one, entire abstinence to address the allergy of the body. And number two, a spiritual experience as the result of working the 12 steps exactly as they're outlined in the big book. And finally, the last simple message that I heard, which I needed to hear, is that abstinence for a compulsive overeater is a painful, uncomfortable, unstable and temporary state, unless quickly followed by a spiritual experience as the result of working the 12 steps. And this is called the recovered state. And that recovered state is stable and it can be permanent, so long as I follow certain rules. So this was the simple message I needed to hear. The second thing was structure. I'm a person who needs very clear-cut instructions about what to do. And the big book is very, very clear on the solution, entire abstinence, and then it goes through each step and gives me instructions on how to proceed through them. On page 20 of the big book in in the chapter, there is a solution. It says, if you are an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. If we go to the the forward to the first edition on page XXII says we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered to show others specifically how we have recovered is the purpose of this book. So again, very specific about structure. And I'm going to look at that a little bit more closely uh, when I discuss the steps. And then finally, The big book is very clear on results. So in the title page, it tells me what my goal is. My goal is to recover from this disease. Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. In the preface to the first edition, the first paragraph uh, tells me about the mushrooming, mushrooming effect of Recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous based on the number of published books it began with the original 100, then we see 300,000 copies of the big book sold in a few years, then we see over a million copies sold in a few years, and then we see 20 million copies sold in a few years. So something is happening here and I need to look a little bit more closely at what it is. Uh, In addition, results. When I came into Vision for You, I saw people who talked about being recovered. I saw people when I went to the conferences who were in a normal body size, who were peaceful, were happy, and were no longer talking about food or weight. And in addition, I've seen the results on my own recovery. So the big book gave me a simple understanding of the disease and the solution, gave me a simple structure for working the solution, and then showed me results, and that's what I needed to see. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my own experience of compulsive overeating, and I'm not going to focus very much on the problem. I'm going to spend more time talking about the solution, but I do want to share a little bit about the problem so perhaps uh, people can relate. Um, Like I mentioned, I, uh, I had struggled, in quotation marks, with my weight for most of my life, and I thought that was the problem. And uh, so I had peaked at about 300 pounds. I tried all sorts of things, lost weight, gain weight, lost weight, gain it always gained it back and had used the only tools I knew, which were diet, restricting, exercise. And when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I was out of ideas to a certain degree, but I heard the phrase, take what you need and leave the rest. And that's exactly what I did. I did not work the steps. I did not get a sponsor, um, and I had relapse after relapse after relapse with brief periods of abstinence. And at each stage, I would take a little more of what was offered. I would take a little more. I would take a little more. Uh, I had three relapses in the three major relapses in the first few years of overeater not overeaters anonymous, and each one was was worse and worse and worse. And in one of my relapses. Um, I don't think I left my house for a month with the exception of going out to buy food. Uh, My apartment was a mess. Uh, My kitchen was covered with uh, dirty plates. Um, And I hadn't returned phone calls, emails, etc. for a long time. I couldn't look anybody in the eye when I went to the store. And at the end of that relapse, the only thing I could think of that would make me feel better was to eat more. And and then I realized I was crazy. There was something fundamentally wrong with me. But I still, even though I was in the program, I didn't still fully grasp it. Um, My final relapse, uh, similar thing, I ended up in my apartment in the dark, surrounded by food wrappers, Uh, pain in my mouth from all the candies I'd been eating, uncomfortable with any position that I would sit in, lying, sweating, Uh, my face is swollen from all the eating that I've done. And the only thing that I could think uh, that actually would make me better now is is really to kill myself. And... uh, I got to the point that it describes in the big book where you'll get to a point where I, I couldn't imagine eating and I couldn't imagine not eating. Then I came back to the program and I worked the steps uh, all through step 12. I, I adopted a plan of eating, three meals a day, nothing in between. And I got recovery. I got physical recovery and I got some degree of spiritual recovery, but it didn't feel stable. It felt very fragile and it felt very very much dependent on me getting to this meeting or me making sure that my sponsor is available to me and so i didn't feel the stability that i that that i'd wanted but i thought that was the best it could be Uh, and then i found vision for you and uh when i came into vision for you everything changed i want to share a few of what i would call the indignities of compulsive overeating that perhaps uh, some of you may be able to relate to. And when I talk about these things now, it's like talking about somebody else's life. Um, but this was me in the disease of compulsive overeating. Uh, <clears throat> see my thighs rubbing together, getting sores, uh, wearing pants that would wear out always. Uh, as a man, having breasts, not being comfortable taking my, my, my shirt off when I went swimming, not being able to fit into clothes, not wanting to wash clothes because they would, get, they would shrink, they would get tight. So I'd wear the same clothes over and over again, even if they had stains, uh, not being able to sit in an airplane seat or do my, uh, my, um, my seatbelt up. Uh, my father comes from a developing country that's quite poor. And I went to visit relatives once and uh, my luggage didn't arrive. And so being in a poor developing country where absolutely nobody is obese, uh, impossible to buy, you know, 3XL clothing, um, very embarrassing. Um, And I could go on and on and on and on. Um, uh, But those are some of the indignities. Uh, Losing weight, being proud of it, and then meeting people that you last saw when you lost weight and you've gained it back plus. Um, These were things that uh, compulsive overeating uh, did to me. But by the grace of God and the grace of this program, I no longer have to worry about those things anymore. So that's my a bit of my history of compulsive overeating and the early parts um, of my my recovery uh, in Overeaters Anonymous, um, I'm gonna now go through the steps and just share a little bit of my own experience. Uh, reference some things in the Big Book. There will be certain steps that I'm gonna focus on a little bit more, and uh, I hope you you'll find it useful. So step one for me, um, I now understood the nature of the problem and it it helped me to make sense of sense of things that didn't make sense i thought of myself as a person with lots of willpower now i i had an understanding of what was happening that my body was different when i'm exposed to certain ingredients foods and behaviors it produces a very abnormal reaction the first part of it is a heightened but very brief pleasurable sensation that other people don't get which explains why I did things with food that my siblings didn't, why I did things with food that my friends didn't. Now I understood. So a heightened pleasurable effect, then followed by the phenomenon of craving, meaning that once I start, I can't stop. And I don't know when it will end. I don't know how much I'll consume. I don't know how much time it's going to take. And I don't know what the consequences are going to be. And for some things, that phenomenon of craving was immediate. So for me, sugar, sweeteners, things like that, it's immediate. So I'm off to the races as soon as I'm exposed. We can call those the sort of the red light foods. I've heard that term before. Um, There were other things that the phenomenon of craving was much more subtle. And so uh, I would eat it today and be exposed to it today. Tomorrow, I would need it again. The next day, I would need it again. I would need it at the exact same time that I had it today. Um, And then eventually, gradually, gradually, it got worse and worse. And then I would need these red light foods, and then I'd be off and running. And so the book tells me, entire abstinence. I had to let go of all of those. Absolutely the red light foods, but uh, definitely the yellow light foods. I had to be willing to let go of those things. I could not negotiate with this disease. I tried. I could not negotiate with it. I would always lose. So that's the first part. Second part of it was I learned I have an obsession of the mind. I could not see this on my own. Somebody had to point it out. And then I look at my history and it makes sense. How many times did I stop? How many times did I start again? And I always thought I was starting again consciously, but I wasn't. It was a mental obsession that I had no control over. Um, And then it's permanent. That became obvious to me. It's progressive. That became obvious to me. It got worse and worse and worse. And it's fatal. And in my case, that fatality will be suicide. Uh, I find the binges are so emotionally and physically uncomfortable for me. Uh, they're like being in a tornado. I have no control over them, and life is unbearable. So for me, I won't get to the stage of those chronic diseases, cho- chronic illnesses of, of morbid obesity, osteoarthritis, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. It'll end with suicide, and I'm, co- I'm quite confident of that. So allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, it's permanent, progressive, and fatal. And nobody could tell me that I had this disease. I had to make my own diagnosis once I was given the information and then looked at my history and my experience. And once I accepted that, then it was like accepting the fact that I had a terminal illness. I needed to understand that. Then I was willing to do what it takes. Then I could approach the solution, the solution, entire abstinence. So for me... Uh, what I found was there, there are certain foods and ingredients and we're all a little bit different, but there's some common themes <clears throat> and there are certain volumes or amounts of food that if I exceed them, it produces a phenomenon of craving. And then finally, there's certain timing of eating. So if I snack between meals or I eat at night it produces the phenomenon of craving. So uh, I like to think of it simply in terms of uh, S's, something that starts with an S substances, So sugar, sweetener, and there's a few other things. Sizes of food, so that's volume, and then schedule of eating. And so for me, I can't eat between meals, and I can't eat at night. So very structured on how many meals, what the amount of each meal is, and then obviously what what the content is. Entire abstinence, first part of it. Second part of it, spiritual experience as a result of working the steps And for me, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. As the big book says in the doctor's opinion, nobody could tell me. I had to be in so much pain, I was willing to do whatever it takes. Um, It's only the accumulated pain and suffering of my experience of the disease that made me willing to to participate in the solution and do it to the best of my abilities. Um, One of the traditions in Overeaters Anonymous is that the only requirement For membership in Overeaters Anonymous is a desire to stop eating compulsively. This uh, is a very um, spiritual tradition that we are uh, we are a welcoming fellowship. Nobody can be denied fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous, and that was very helpful to me because it allowed me to come into the fellowship, which was a very safe place, a very a place where I was understood, where I couldn't be understood by anybody who didn't understand uh, wasn't didn't have the disease. And I could learn about the disease and experience the disease and take what I needed and leave the rest. However, uh, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Unfortunately, based on my experience of my own disease and working with others, uh, a desire is not the only requirement for recovery. What the requirement for recovery is complete and utter deflation and hopelessness. Because I will not be entirely abstinent. I will not work the steps to my ability, to the best of my abilities until I'm hopeless. Because those foods give me a sense of ease and comfort that I don't seem to get from other things. So it's only when, as Bill Wilson said uh, on page eight, that I, who had thought so much of myself, was cornered at last. Quicksand stretched before me in all directions. I had met my match, I had been overwhelmed, alcohol was my master, in my case, my alcoholic foods and behaviours, it's only then uh, that I was willing to do what it takes. Uh, And in page 152 in A Vision for You, uh, they say, someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without. Then he will know loneliness as few do. And I felt that. And it's only then that I was willing to do what was necessary. The Big Book gives example after example after example of this uh, of this particular concept. And my own experience in looking in the fellowship, the people that have strong sustained recovery have all reached the point of hopelessness. The first seven or eight cases of alcoholics that are talked about in the Big Book are are these same things. Ebby Thatcher, Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, uh, Bill D. Uh, Silkworth mentions in doctor's opinion two patients at the end of his uh, at the end of his doctor's opinion um, who were hopeless and then recovered because they did what was in the big book. Okay, so that's, my, that's a bit of me on step one. Uh, I had to create a plan of eating based on the fact that I had the allergy of body to these particular uh, ingredients and behaviors. And it's very clear to me that a plan of eating is not a solution. A plan of eating is really just a tool To take care of the first part of the disease. Um, An alcoholic needs to have a plan of drinking liquids each day. He or she can drink any liquid they want but it can't contain alcohol. Similarly for me I could eat any way I want or eat anything I want so long as it doesn't include those ingredients foods and behaviors. So I eat three meals a day. The portion sizes are most things are measured and weighed. Um, I don't eat between meals and I don't eat at night. So that's taking care of the first part of the disease. The other thing I learned in this program is that abstinence is not the solution. Once I put the food down, the real problem becomes quite evident very quickly. The doctor's opinion talks about uh, us getting restless, irritable, and discontent. So I may feel okay for a few days because I've gotten rid of that allergy of the body, but within a very short period of time, life starts to bother me. Um, And this is the true problem. This is what the book refers to as a spiritual illness, which I likely have had my whole life. And I solved this by eating. And it worked for many, many years until it didn't. And it's irrelevant why I'm like that. I believe I was born like that. And I accept it. And now let's solve it. And that's the point I came to when I when I came into to Vision for You. Okay. Um the other thing I learned in this program with respect to step one is that once I put down the food, the clock starts ticking. Meaning that I'm in a race against time to get to that spiritual experience because in that restless, irritable discontent state, that is fertile ground for the second part of the disease, which is the mental obsession. So I must put the food down and I must get through these steps quickly. And we see in, in, uh, Uh, many of the cases that are discussed in the big book, um, the steps are worked quickly um, because we're on a, this is a life-threatening problem and the clock is ticking. So that's step one. So step one, I have accepted the disease. I have put the food down. Now I need to access a higher power. So we're going to talk about step two. Step two came to believe uh, that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I came into this program I would describe myself as agnostic, but very close to atheist. Uh, I wasn't completely willing to let go of the idea that there was a God, but I believed God didn't care. Or, forgive my language, I thought God was a bit of an asshole. If I looked at the world, I wasn't very impressed with God. And I certainly didn't think God was going to help me with my problem. However, step two is easy. If step one is hopelessness. Once I was backed into a corner, I became very open-minded. And the big book says this in many places, page 48. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we became as open-minded on spiritual matters as on other questions. Um, I had a lot of prejudice about what God was—very judgmental God, um, a God with human qualities of pride, etc., etc., etc. And um, in page 12, when Ebbie Satcher comes and visits Bill Wilson and pre- presents him with a solution, he says to him. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? Uh, Which is an amazing statement. And that opened up things for me in the same way that it did for, for Bill Wilson. And the truth is that at step two, I don't need to believe in anything. And the truth being, God hasn't done anything for me yet. So why should I have faith in God? It's only when God has done something for me, then I'll have faith. But all I have to do at this point is open my mind to the possibility because I have no solution, I'm hopeless. Somebody is sitting across from me in a meeting and they're telling me they look peaceful, they look happy, and they're telling me that God did it for them. So I'm willing to open my mind. And a wise person in the fellowship said to me once that God only has to have two characteristics at this stage or this potential higher power that may exist only has to have two characteristics. Number one, it has to be more powerful than the disease. And number two, It must like me and want to help. Everything else about this higher power or God can be set aside. It's irrelevant. And so there's no such thing as working step two, as I've heard. Step two is a brief contemplation. If I'm hopeless in step one, step two is quick. And we go to step three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Again, there's no such thing as working step three. It's brief contemplation. I have no hope. I have no solution. People have told me this may work, and I have to decide, am I going to try it or not? Brief contemplation, and then a decision. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to think, what does it mean to turn my will and my life over to the care of God? What it means is to go from step four through step 12. So the first thing I do to turn my will and my life over to the care of God is I made fearless and searching moral inventory of myself. No, So I make a decision. I move to step four. So step four, I made a searching and fearless moral inventory. The book, again, is very, very clear about how to do this. And the book tells me what my problem is. And I actually couldn't see it because in my mind, my problem was food and weight. But the book tells me that I am blocked from a higher power by something it refers to as selfishness and self-centeredness. Now, I didn't think I was a selfish person at all. I could not see this on my own. But the book tells me that I am driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, and that I've made decisions based on self in my life that have put me in a position to be hurt. When I went through this back then, I couldn't see it. Now it's clear as day. The book shows me how to do this. It's very structured, it's very simple, And I don't have to write my life story, (laughs) which I thought I did. It shows me how to look at my resentments, my fears, and my conduct in sex or intimate relations. And when I do that, uh, I was stunned to see how self-centered I was. I was stunned to see how fragile my self-esteem was and how actively I went out into the world to get self-esteem. And that made me selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, frightened, and it manifested in so many different ways pride, prejudice, envy, jealousy, perfectionism, people pleasing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. and I could never have seen this on my own. So that was step 4. Then I moved to step 5. I admitted to myself to God and to another human being the exact nature of my wrong wrongs. Uh, the book tells me that a solitary self-appraisal is not enough. That in order to access a higher power my ego must be deflated. And I thought to myself, how, how, can I, how can I deflate my ego? I already feel terrible about myself. But that feeling terrible about myself was also part of this very enlarged ego. I did not realize that. Uh, on page 73, it makes reference to people who have uh, come into the AA program and have relapsed. And it says, they only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. They had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find necessary until they had told somebody else all their story. And so I shared my step four with a trusted fellow who was my sponsor. And the effect was, uh, was magical. Um, the book says on page 75, once we have taken this step, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us and we began to feel the nearness of our creator. And that's what I felt. I could not have told you this was the nearness of my creator, but I felt a sense of peace and happiness and loss of this sort of fear and worry that I'd always kind of had. And, uh, and that was an amazing thing. So that was step five. Then I moved on to step six and seven. And, uh, Step six and seven are talking about so-called uh, character defects. And uh, step six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So I saw in step four and five that I was selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened. And within those, there were other subtle character defects. And uh, was I entirely ready to let go of them? Well, I thought I was. Um, and in step seven it says humbly ask god to remove our shortcomings now i start to see that my problem is no longer food because if i can access a higher power the food problem goes away so my problem now becomes these character defects and i can't remove these on my own only god can and it won't happen on my schedule and so i thought that i would just say these prayers step six and seven and that would be done And it doesn't work that way because just like the food, I had to come to a degree of hopelessness about food. I had to become hopeless uh, with respect to some of my character defects. And the following steps are going to help me to deal with those, particularly step 10. Uh, But I didn't necessarily want to let go of my pride. I didn't necessarily want to let go of my feeling of superiority over other people, those sorts of things. Um, But I had to open my mind to the possibility that I would. And that's what step six and seven is. And step six and seven will continue for the rest of my life, so long as I work, step 10, 11, and 12. And I'm going to talk about that. Step eight and nine. In step eight, I made a list only of people that I felt I may have harmed. And what was interesting is that I was so self-focused that it was impossible for me to actually accurately say who I'd hurt and who I hadn't. I was surprised to see that there were certain things I thought I didn't need to make an amends. And the trusted fellow who sponsored me said, no, no, those you definitely need to make amends. And there are others where I thought, oh, I need to make amends. I've been so bad to this person, I'm such a bad person. And my sponsor said, no, you don't need to make amends to those people. So I couldn't accurately see where I'd harmed, where I'd harmed and where I hadn't. So I made a list of all possibilities and with the help of a recovered fellow, was able to to whittle that list down to people who I needed to make amends to. And at this point, I just needed to make a a list and and hope and pray for willingness. And then in step nine, I made direct amends. And in the big book, it's very clear uh, uh, on instructions of how to do this. So again, with a sponsor, a recovered sponsor, uh, I came up with a very simple, clear cut script of what I was gonna say to people because it could very easily go off track by self-centeredness, by pride, by people pleasing, by approval seeking, by trying to get an outcome. And it becomes clear why these steps are in sequence for a reason. Earlier in my recovery, I made a step nine amend before I'd done any of the other steps and I made things worse. So in this case, I had to see where my character defects were. I had to be guided by another recovered fellow so that I could do it safely and not cause uh, further harm. And the book on page 83 83 says, we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our own feet. We don't crawl before anybody. And I made amends to people I thought I would never make amends to. At step one, I thought I'll never be able to do that. But Of course, by step nine, uh, I, began to have a spiritual experience, and uh, I had the willingness, and the power was given to me to do that. And once I did those things, uh, I started to feel even better and even better. The nine-step promises of a spiritual experience began to come true for me. Uh, In page 84, we will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity. We will know peace. Um, fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us those things started to happen for me so up until this point step one to step nine I have cleaned up the wreckage of the past and doing the step four the step five and the step nine are such big things that uh, it was very easy for me to think that I was done and the areas where I have lost my recovery in the past and I see it happen over and over with fellows that I've sponsored is, is what happens from, from now. Step 10, step 11, and step 12. Uh, in step 10, uh, it says, I continue to take personal inventory, or sorry, we continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. What I have found in my experience that uh, my recovery or my spiritual experience is not static. It does not stay put. I'm either growing towards my higher power or I'm drifting away from my higher power in self. And so if, I, if it's not static, then it means I have to be constantly working. Because if I'm passive, my natural tendency is to get drawn back into self. And when I got drawn back into self, I get blocked from this higher power. I drift away. I start to become emotionally uncomfortable. And within a short period of time, the food starts to get uh seem like a good idea and that will kill me so uh continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong promptly admitted it. so this is a during the day carrying around with me step this is where i uh, so uh, the way i see things is that uh in step six and seven i start to see these character defects and they're basically like huge granite boulders And I can't remove them on my own, but God requires my cooperation. And my cooperation is that I have to use step 10 as a, like a chisel to chip away these character defects. So I've gotten through step nine. I've cleaned away the wreckage of the past, but I still have these character defects and I have to go back into life. And those character defects are going to create emotional discomfort. So I no longer, once I've got to step 10, the book says that I'm going to start to have a sense, a sense of neutrality around the food. So I no longer have to be vigilant about the food, but what I have to be vigilant about now is my emotional state. Because when I'm getting emotionally disturbed, it means one of those character defects is active and I have to, to actively unblock myself. Um, So step 10. So this has really been the key uh, to the maintenance and growth of my recovery. And when I don't do this, this is where I go off track. Uh, Step 10 is really just a mini step four through nine and should be done as many times a day as is necessary. And the book gives very clear cut instructions about how to do it. I'm not gonna go into it in my talk because I think it's been covered and discussed elsewhere. And I'm happy to share answer any questions about it if if people people have it but this has been the key to my recovery is step 10 step 10 step 10 step 10. Then we move into step 11 and step 11 again is another area where I have lost my recovery because I have not focused on it Uh, because step 10 is is not natural for me I have now unblocked myself from this higher power. I now have access to this infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom. And now step 11 is telling me I must access it. But I'm used to using my finite resources, my own intellect, my own thinking. But it's telling me not to do that. So to seek, so sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry it out. And step 11 is in four parts. And the book is very, very clear about this. The first part, it begins with, and I think for a reason, is what we do at night. And the book is trying to remind us about the importance of inventory. So the book, in its nighttime review, is telling me, have you forgotten any step 10s? Are you carrying over any emotional disturbance? It says we constructively reviewed our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or frightened? Do we owe an apology? Um, is there something that needs to be discussed with somebody at once? It's saying to me, don't go to sleep if there's a step 10 that you need to do. And then finally, it ends with prayer. Then it goes to awakening, which is the second part of step 11. Now, for me, it doesn't matter how much recovery I have. Every day I wake up the same. I wake up with a self-centered, frightened mind. And as soon as I wake up, my mind is going in all sorts of different directions. I could be sitting on a beach with sunshine, surrounded by beautiful surroundings and beautiful people. Within a very short period of time, I'll get resentful and frightened. That's just the way my mind works. So on awakening, the more time I spend in self before I connect with God, the more likely my day is going to go off track. And so it says uh, on awakening, we ask God. If we look at step 10 and 11, the number of times it says we ask God is a lot. It doesn't say we ask our sponsor. The book constantly says we ask God. In the morning, I ask God to direct my thinking. At night, at the end of my nightly review, I ask God's forgiveness and ask what corrective measures I should take. So, at nighttime review, on awakening third part of step 11 when we face indecision that happens often to me when i face indecision i immediately go into self try to think my way through it get into obsession and get nowhere the book tells me ask god ask god for inspiration intuitive thought or a decision and then the fourth part of step 11 when i'm agitated or doubtful the book tells me we ask god we pause and we ask god for the right thought and the right action. These things are not intuitive for me, and they take practice over and over and over because I want to use my own thinking. But nighttime review, on awakening, when I face indecision, and when agitated or doubtful. In a comment on when agitated or doubtful, we pause, we ask God for the right thought and the right action. The right thought and the right action often what comes to me is do a step 10, unblock yourself. So that's step 11 then finally, I'm going to talk briefly about step 12. So step 12 has three parts to it. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, that's part one. Step two, we tried to carry this message, compulsive overeatings. And then finally, to practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, We have a tradition that says we're in the business of attraction not promotion. And so when I'm carrying a message, more so than the words, it's going to be my demeanor and my behavior that's going to be a large part of the message that's going to attract people. Uh, In Bill's story, when Ebby Thatcher comes to Bill to share his story, he's described as being fresh-faced and glowing. He did no ranting. So the book is reminding me that if I'm going to carry the message, I must have a spiritual experience. Otherwise, the message I'm carrying may be wrapped in self, trying to control something, trying to get somebody to do something, rather than in a spirit of service, of love. Um, And so I have to have a spiritual experience in order to carry the message, because it's going to be my demeanor that's going to attract people. Uh, The second part of this says we tried to carry this message. So it's telling me that it's not essential for my recovery that the message is received. What's essential is that I try to share it with people. And then finally, practice these principles in all our affairs. Uh, What does this mean? To me, it means that now in all my affairs, not just in the food, I must trust and rely on an infinite loving higher power. That is the solution to all my problems. If, I have, if I'm having relationship problems, the solution is draw closer to God. How do I do that? Step 10, 11, and 12. If I'm having financial problems, the solution is draw closer to God. How do I do that? Step 10, and 11, and 12. If I'm having health problems, the solution is draw closer to God. How do I do that? Step 10, 11, and 12. Finally, um, I've learned that I have to dedicate my life to the study of this book. The more times I go through it, I start to see things I didn't see before. And I've come to believe, although I heard it before, but I didn't believe it, I've come to believe this book is divinely inspired. And for some reason, I can't learn it just by reading it on my own. I seem to learn it when I teach it to others. When I teach it to others, it reinforces my own understanding of this. Uh, Regarding sponsorship, I've come to believe that there are only three determinants of recovery. The first one is the amount of accumulated pain and suffering of the disease. I've heard the term that people should pray to be willing, to be willing, to be willing. Uh, that hasn't worked for me. I had to be uh, on my knees with the, the boot of the disease on my neck. That is what made me willing to take the next step. So the first part was the amount of accumulated pain and suffering of the disease. I can't create, those, that, I can't create that for a person I'm trying to sponsor. They must have the experience the second part is the specific actions as described in the big book if i have enough pain somebody points me to the instructions i will follow them because i'm desperate and if i follow them i'll get the third part which is a power greater than myself which solves the problem so amount of pain specific actions in the book and a power greater than myself and what i have not mentioned there is a sponsor Uh, I see myself in sponsoring people as a guide. I have no power whatsoever. When a person is hopeless and willing, the sponsor's touch will be light. And like any guide, the person being guided must follow. I don't push people and I don't carry them. I don't believe that's God's will. I only did what was necessary when I was hopeless. So finally, uh, in conclusion... Uh, I've talked a bit about the problem, Uh, the simplicity in the big book. I've talked about the solution, the simplicity again in the big book. I've talked about the difference between abstinence and recovered. Abstinence to me doesn't mean much because it's a temporary, unstable, painful state unless followed by a spiritual experience. And that spiritual experience has to come fast. When we have those two things, that's the recovered state and that can be permanent so long as I do the work in my opinion there's no such thing as a slip we're either in abstinence and recovered or working towards it or we're in relapse i have to be black and white about that Uh, the only or sorry the the fundamental um prerequisite for recovery for me was complete hopelessness Um, and the book is very clear about that when i was hopeless i took the actions in the big book I accessed the higher power, and my problem was solved. Uh, finally, uh, just about my life now as it looks, uh, I, my natural life as it exists should have ended about 10 years ago based on this disease. I should have died a lonely, painful, emotionally uncomfortable death. But I'm here before you, uh, and what I'm experiencing is supernatural. I could not have done this by myself. Uh, My life has been transformed, not just physically, um, but all aspects of my life. And I've been given access to a power that I didn't believe existed, uh, but has now given me a degree of serenity that's not dependent on circumstances, on people, places, and things. So I came in because I had a weight problem, and I got much, 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 much more. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So thank you for listening, and um, thank you for inviting me to speak, Leah, and I'm happy to answer any questions.
0: Well, thank you so very much, Stephen, for your clear and profound message of depth and weight. Wow, thank you for such a spectacular presentation this morning, truly inspiring and instructive and a gem to have in our archives. Thank you so much. Today's share ID 19005. That is 19005 for Stephen's presentation this morning. Stephen's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to question and answer segment. You can present a question to Stephen. Questions only. By pressing star one, I need your name, including the first letter of your last name.
2: Margaret David. 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 David.
0: I've got you, Davlin. Thank you, Margaret. Yes. Margaret. Margaret D. Mar- David. David. Thank you. Yeah. Mhm. Anyone else? star one to unmute. Dana P. Dana P. Audrey N. Audrey, is that correct? hmm Okay, very well. Tamara C. And Tamara. Great group to get started with. I have Margaret D., Davlin E., Dana P., I believe Audrey N., and Tamara C., Let's get started with Margaret D. Your question, please, Margaret.
3: Thanks, Leah. Um, Thank you for that. That. um, Thank you for your time and your service. It's very wonderful. Uh, My question is: You said the tenth step was more or less a um, compilation of the four step, or um, it was like a mini four step. Would you comment on the difference between a four-step and a tenth step in that in the 10th step we ask God to remove whatever it was, the fear, um, what are the four horsemen there, the fear, the um, self-centeredness or whatever it is, where that doesn't happen in the four-step and it seems like a lot of people will just run through it and they don't ever, I mean, they don't ever actually ask God to do that for them. So in a sense, it's almost like they're still running the show. Thanks.
1: Yes. Thanks for your question, Margaret. Um, So the fourth step is, is really just the more detailed inventory. And uh, the big book is very clear on how to do it looking at resentments, fears, and uh, sex and relationship conduct. And then at the end of it, it, it describes the columns. And then I, at the end of it, it shows me how to, to see my character defects. Uh, but it leaves it, it leaves it at that. And it's much more detailed. Because when we come into the program, um, there, for me anyway, there was a significant wreckage from the past. So I had a lot of resentments. I had a lot of fears. And I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of um, um, relationship inventory stuff. Uh, the 10th step is uh, is very clearly outlined. It's on page uh, 80, 84. And the 10th step has components of 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And so to give you an example, I'm walking through my day and something happens and I get a resentment. I have to pause and I see, okay, I'm resentful at that person. The cause is very briefly they did this. Um, that you know it affected my self-esteem my part here is i'm being selfish dishonest frightened self-seeking and then the book says turn to god and so i ask god to remove it and um and it also tells me that i should share it with somebody and so that can be done in different ways and so i can text it to somebody you know, someone, uh, trusted fellow look i'm having resentment this is it and i'm feeling so self- this is my this is my character defects and then if i've harmed somebody um, I make an amend, and then I resolutely turn my attention to somebody I can help. And so in that 10-step process, there's components of four, there's components of five, there's components of six, seven, eight, and nine. But it's, uh, it's something I carry around me, with me through the day when I get into emotional difficulty, and it can be done in a few minutes, whereas the step four is a more detailed inventory, um, usually done uh, when we first come into recovery or perhaps even after relapse because these things have accumulated, but it's only an in inventory. Uh, whereas Step 10 conti- uh, has components of all parts. But Step 10 is a quick thing for getting through emotional discomfort through the day. At least that's how I interpret the book. And I hope that answers your question.
0: Thank you, Margaret D. Next up, Davlin E. Hi, thank you for taking me on the call. This is Davlin E. from Manitoba, Canada. Stephen, thank you for your presentation. Your clarity was really delightful. And basically, uh, Margaret's question answered my question because I was going to ask, do you 10-step your thoughts? And then do you share them? And I realized that my not sharing them, my 10-step but not sharing them, is just a total lack of humility on my part. So you really answered my question. Thank you. I will let somebody else... Uh, ask their questions with that I pass. Thank
1: you, yeah. Devlin. Thanks, Davlin. If I could just yeah, make a brief brief comment. Thank you very much for saying that. Yeah, I I've come to realize that by sharing it with somebody, it humbles me. And that is part of the ego deflation that's necessary to reconnect to my higher power. So yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Thank you.
0: Dana P, your turn.
3: Thank you, Leah. Dana P. here, and thank you, Stephen, for this uh, walk through the steps, um, your interpretation and your experience, uh, strength and hope around that. I'm just wondering if you would share a little bit more uh, about um, the ego deflation regarding, um, I think that you were referring to uh, like our self-deprecation and or that uh, rather than the superiority i 'm not sure if i 'm real clear, but wondering if you could share a little bit more about that the self pity side of it
1: yeah that's a really good question um, thank you yeah i uh, as i mentioned um, it was impossible for me to see my own self centeredness, and I had a very distorted view of um, the ego. I always thought ego was thinking I'm better than everybody. And, um, but what it is, it's really just a self-centered perception. And uh, it's not a higher power perception. And so it can go from thinking I'm better than people, and it, but it also can swing to thinking I'm worse than people. And all of those assessments of myself are completely false. And in a higher power's eyes, uh, we're all equal. And I'm a imperfect human being with gifts and also flaws. That's the reality. And so when I go into this self-deprecation and low self-esteem and etc. 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 that actually is part of ego. And ego, when I de- so I yeah I couldn't understand like, well, how can I go and have my ego deflated? I I have low self-esteem, but uh, ego deflation actually helped with that low self-esteem because it helped me to see myself as i am as my higher power sees me uh not with this distorted excessively self-focused uh view of myself and it's excessive abnormal self-focus whether positive or negative that's all ego and i could not have seen that on my own but doing the steps exactly as they're outlined in the book helped to deal with that thanks for your question thank you
0: dana p Audrey M, your turn to pose a question.
2: Thank you. This is Audrey-Ann ringing in from Ireland. Um, thanks, Stephen, for your experience, strength, and hope. Um And I was just uh, wondering if you could, yeah, I suppose just if you could expand on um, what your experience is around having a home group and the purpose of this. Thanks. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, My thoughts about, first of all, I don't think the book really comments on that. The book says that we need a fellowship and we need a forum to hear the message and to carry the message. Or to, yeah, to hear the message and to carry the message. And so uh, I think a home group is is an important place. Uh, What I've also, is is an important thing. Um, So long as I've found that uh, I need a home group that's studying the big book because I found that to be the solution. So I need to hear the message over and over and over and over. And, uh, and then we're carrying the same message and we're, we're listening to the same message. Um, my other thoughts on that is that uh, what's also important for me is uh, is to create a, a fellowship around me of people who are, living by the same playbook um, so that i'm not dependent on one person like a sponsor you know so that i you know this book is this this whole book is about teaching us how to depend on a power greater than ourselves and we need to do some of the steps we need trusted recovered fellows but what i've tried to do is, and i see this in others is create a a, a a fellowship around me of people that are living by the same Uh, the same playbook that I can turn to uh, when I need guidance or when I need to do a 10 step or whatever. Um, I hope that answered your question.
0: Thank you, Audrey. Mm -hmm. Tamara C., your turn. Um, Hi, this is Tamara C. in California. Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your story. I appreciated that you um, shared the idea that someone on step two um, just needs those two characteristics in their higher power at that point. I'm wondering if you could share if you have any experience guiding someone through if um, like they have a concept of a higher power and in that concept they really have a hard time believing that that higher power does like them and does want to help them.
1: Thanks yeah that's uh that's a good question um, the The reality is that it really doesn't matter what i believe what it matters what i do and so when I was at step two i to be honest i i i really wasn't sure about this god thing uh but I was hopeless and um i i i just decided as people said just pretend you know It doesn't matter. Just take the actions. So step two is just brief contemplation. Uh, I'm not sure if this higher power will help me. Fine. I'm still going to do the work. And when I did the work, I got results. And so I found that this higher power really doesn't matter what I think of it. Really doesn't matter what I call it. Really doesn't matter whether I like it or don't like it. These steps are basically uh, spiritual laws that if I follow them, I will access this higher power. And so uh, if you're having trouble with that, I would say just simply get into action and move through these steps and something quite dramatic will happen. That's what happened to me. Thank you for your question.
0: Thank you, Tamra C. We still have time for additional questions star one to unmute I need your name including the first letter of your last name Christina Rob, J I'm, Christina Lisa J, J. Chris, J. G. Chris G I have Christina Barbara J. W Barbara W Rob Robin P I got you Robin who did I miss after Barbara W R. Is that Rifka R? Roz. Roz R. Thank you so much. I have Christina J., Lisa J., I believe, Chris G., Barbara W., Roz R., and Robin P. Christina J., please pose your question. Good
2: morning, Leah. Thank
0: you for your Christina, I think we lost you.
2: Thank you, Leah, for your service. You can mm-hmm. hear me now? Correct. Okay, good. Thank you so much. And Stephen, what a great share, synchronicity, kind of outlining the whole program in a very straightforward, easy-to-follow way. My question follows on the tail of Tamara's question uh, about higher power, But mine has to do more with the spiritual experience spiritual awakening i just took on a sponsee who uh has had the food down for quite a while and she her previous sponsor had to let her go because she'd been sick she'd been through the steps many times this gal and uh she was at step three finished step three and she said i just have to hurry 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 and get that spiritual experience and i so I asked her what she was doing in her Step 11 since she'd been, you know, uh, working this for a while. And she told me, and I, I asked her if she felt connected to God in her prayers, and she did. And so I explained to her that the spiritual experience was a day-by-day thing, an action we take towards God. And so I, I, I think, you know, my question to you is when you said you have to hurry and get that spiritual experience, uh, what did that look for it like for you, and do you find that it's a daily Uh, enriching and growing process uh, with that awakening thank you
1: yes Uh, that's a good question thanks Christina that's a good question Um, let me think how to answer that so the first thing is is that I don't know what another person's spiritual experience is gonna feel like for them but I do know that for me first of all I wasn't thinking about the food and second of all, I wasn't uh, going up and down with the ups and downs of life. There was more of a peace and a serenity. So I, I've never saw bright lights or flashing lights or you know, saw God, but I just know I got more and more peaceful. Um, the, absolutely, it is a daily thing. And so once I get through those first nine steps, then i have to be i had to be taught and the big book teaches me and i've learned through listening to to the fellows on this meeting i must weave step 10 11 and 12 into my daily life and when i do that uh, i get a peace and serenity so i will go off track i will get emotionally uncomfortable i know i have to do a step 10. Step 10 brings me back and there's some things i have to do multiple step tens on in a day but it brings me back. And then a step 11, I turn to God in prayer. Step 12, I seek to be of service or turn my attention to somebody I can help. When I weave those things into my day, uh, I am able to maintain a degree of peace and serenity that I have not had before. So it's not an issue of me seeing bright lights or seeing God. and um, um, But it's an absolutely every day I wake up the same, you know, like I wake up a pumpkin. And uh, and I have to start again. Um, the one thing that came to my mind uh, when you told me that story, Christina, is um, people that have uh, previous experience in the fellowship can be the biggest challenge to sponsor. And uh, I start from the beginning with everybody. Uh, we start from the beginning. I don't make assumptions about where people are at um, because I've, I've I've done that and then I've, I've I've run into trouble because I know that we get to where we are. By doing the exact actions in this step. So I have to guide people through all these actions so that I know that they've taken them. Um, and I hope that answers your question. I'm not sure it did, but uh, thanks for your question.
2: Yes, it did. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks,
0: Christina Jay. Lisa J. your turn.
1: Good morning.
2: This is Lisa Jay, Recovered in Michigan, for this 24 hours. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your concise. Um, clear, quick, keeping it simple. Start from the beginning. This sort of tacks on to what you were just talking about. How? My question was, how much do you help someone first coming in, as far as a definition of abstinence? Um, I appreciate that you're letting them develop their own higher power, and I love that you say, "Ask God, ask God, ask God." If they relapse during, like, before the point of neutrality in step nine. Um, are you checking in with them food-wise on abstinence? And what does that look like if they are not developing a clean abstinence? Thanks.
1: Very good question. Very good question. This is something that um, I've had to learn uh, through making lots of mistakes and uh, listening to people who have more experience and then really going back to the big book and telling, seeing what the big book says so I'll first address the question of people's abstinence, and then we'll talk about uh, people who relapse during the process. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I was obsessed with food. And so getting into extensive discussions with people who are obsessed with food um, can be a very circular process that goes around and around and goes nowhere. Uh, if people are not particularly, particularly if people are not really willing to let go of things. So, um, again, if it's hopelessness that, that makes people willing. And so I just share with respect to getting an uh, um, abstinence uh, food plan, I share what my alcoholic foods, ingredients and behaviors are. I tell people what my plan of eating is. Um, I give them a few references, like there's a couple of podcasts on the Vision for You about entire abstinence that helps people to understand things. I encourage people, if they have some uncertainty, to go and see um, a professional uh, to help them come up with a food plan that doesn't include their alcoholic foods, ingredients, and behaviors. And um, But I try not to dictate to people uh, what they should be eating because I don't know what they should be eating. And I make it clear to people from the beginning what I'm not. I'm not a dietitian, health professional, et cetera, et cetera. However, uh, before we proceed through the steps, the abstinence has to be hundred percent clear. It has to be black and white. Either we drank alcohol today or we didn't. There's no such thing as well. My food was not so good today. Or the food was a little sloppy. No, it's black and white. So the first question I ask people. Uh, so when we're going through the steps, I try to keep, I communicate with people I'm sponsoring every day. First question is, were you abstinent today? Because if we weren't abstinent, working the steps doesn't work. The book is very clear on that. Um, The second thing that I do is, um, and I try to keep in mind that, that we are, I'm a spiritually ill person trying to help a spiritually ill person. So it has to be very clear about what this relationship is and what it isn't. And that means I have to set some boundaries and some consequences. If people have one relapse, like go back into the food once, that's a learning experience. Uh, we see it in the big book, Dr. Bob relapsed before he really worked the steps. Um, that's a learning experience. If people relapse twice during the process, uh, either I'm not the, person, I, I'm not the person they need to hear the message for, from or they're not ready. And so I t- tell people up front, if we relapse once, let's take, we'll take a break for a week. After that week, let me know if you want to continue. If you relapse twice, then uh, let's stop. I'm not the person to help you or you may not be ready yet. Um, but there has to be clear clear guidelines, um, so that's what I do. Otherwise, um, I'm trying to help somebody who's not yet ready to be helped. I hope that answered your question.
0: Thank you, Lisa J. Chris G. Star 1 to unmute. I was unmuting. This is Robin P. Did you say Robin P? Actually calling out for Chris G. This <laughs> is no problem.
3: This is G. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for uh, this wonderful uh, presentation. Uh, my question, uh, when I look at my experience and when I look at the um, promises, the one that I see the biggest improvement for me now is we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. When I did my fourth step, I had people on it that had passed away how do you put the when you put people that have passed away on your amends list in step eight how do you make amends to people who have passed away
1: yeah that's a really good question thanks um so my experience i did not have uh, people on my uh, amends list that had passed away but i've i've worked with sponsees that have and um what I I've, what I've, I've had them do and and I I didn't come up with myself I, I I learned it by listening to different AA and OA speakers was just simply to have people write a letter and um I had a sponsee that wrote a letter and then read it to at the gravesite of of, of one of the people that it was a family member um but writing a letter something that's symbolic um and I've seen people get uh, uh, real real relief from that Um, That's one thing that I have, but that just comes from my own experience. I'm sure there's other people that would also have things to suggest. I hope that answered your question.
0: Thank you, Chris G. Barbara W., followed by Roz R. and Robin P. Barbara W., your question, please.
3: Yes, good morning. Barbara W. from Washington State. And again, thank you. Stephen, for your wonderful presentation, um, I think you have probably answered. I heard you answering uh, Christina's question about spiritual matters, and um, my question was going to be: what it, what does you know, what your day look like when you're doing your uh, spiritual uh, spiritual activities?
1: Yandong.
3: Anything to add to that?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. So what does my day look like? So the truth is is that most of these things don't actually take that much time. And so my day in the morning will look like when I get up, I pray. So I have a few prayers that I say, a step three prayer, step seven prayer, uh, step 11 prayer, which is the Prayer of Saint. Francis, um, I do exactly what the book tells me, which is I ask God to direct my thinking and divorce my thoughts from self-pity self-seeking dishonest motives. Um, I meditate for ten minutes, I just sit meditate for ten minutes and then uh, and the book tells me if'm if there's something I'm uncertain about in my day uh, or a faith in decision, I ask God for an inspiration and intuitive thought or a decision so so I do that, and then I go about my day and uh, often. During my day, something happens that bothers me. (laughs) And so when that happens, I pause. And step 11 says, when agitated or doubtful, I I pause and I ask God for the right thought. And then I do a step 10 and unblock myself. And some days that's just once. And there are days where I don't have anything like that. Um, And then uh, at night, step 11, I do a nightly review. I constructively review my day. And uh, so that's basically how I use step 10 and step 11. And then uh, I actually receive step 10s from people. People will send me voicemail messages or text messages. So that's some service. Um, I usually have one phone call with a sponsee. That's step 12. And uh, and then I get to, I try to do a vision for you meeting every day, but I don't always do that. Uh, But I try to get to, I, I get to a minimum of three meetings a week. And so that's what my recovery looks like. And it basically... By doing those things, I'm doing step one, step two, step three. I'm basically admitting that I'm powerless and I'm turning to God. And then step 10, 11, step 10, I'm unblocking myself. Step 11, nightly review, I'm again unblocking myself from the higher power. And then step 11, I'm, I'm connecting with higher power. And then I'm being of service in step 12. So it's basically just weaving step 10, 11, and 12 in my day. And when I do that, I feel peaceful and even when i don't i can go back into peaceful i have tools to get back into peacefulness that's step 10. Uh, and when i don't do that it it does it looks very different and within a very short period of time i am uncomfortable i hope that answers your question
0: thanks barbara w raz r your turn
3: hi thank you leah for your service and thank you Stephen. that was such an amazing presentation. I learned so much from you. My question is, um, from your experience, what was it like um, learning to distinguish between your guidance from your own head and God's guidance when you would ask God?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Very, very, very good question. Um, that's a very good question. The book tells us, it says, you know, sometimes we're going to get ideas that are ridiculous that we think is, is God's guidance. And it's a bit of a a learning process. Um, But the truth is I have come to believe that, that God, my higher power, whatever you want to want to call it is loving and knows me best better than I know myself and wants me to be happy, joyous and free and peaceful but also recognizes that I have some gifts and some weaknesses. And so it wants me to use those gifts usefully. And when I have that idea of a higher power, then it becomes clear sometimes what my higher power's will is for me. When I start to do something that's making me uncomfortable, I'm usually doing it based on self-will. So usually with the pride or fear. When I'm doing something from God's will, it's usually peaceful. And I'm generally happy about it I always thought that god's will was this is going to be this is the the ideas that were placed in me that if I wanted to be live a life of god 's will, I had to become a monk or I had to suffer or I had to go and live in a developing country and save <laughs> save the world that's not true. I, I, I have not found that to be true. Uh, my higher power, God, if you will, is practical uh, wants me to. To, to use the gifts that I have, but in a very practical way, in a, practi- in a way that's peaceful and that makes me happy. And if I'm not happy and I'm trying to force things and I'm trying to control either myself or people or the world, that's self-will and I'm generally not peaceful. I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I hope it did.
0: Thank you. It was amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Razár. Our final question for the morning comes from Robin P. Thank you so much. It's Robin P. in Costa Rica. Thank you so much, Steve. My question just got answered about your day. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Was there a Monette M. who had a question? Monette M. Star one to unmute if that's the case. Yes, this is Monette. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes, go ahead and get it in quickly, please. Thank you. Yes, like everyone else, Stephen, thank you so much for your presentation this morning. And yeah, I just, um, your step three experience, um, just like you said, it was another contemplation step for you Um just know, like, but in the big book, there is that prayer and and all of that. So I just wanted to see if you could kind of go into a little bit more depth about any kind of third step experience that um, that you had the first time working through the big book. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So um, one of the things that I think I refer to this often is that if that when the, if step one is hopeless, I become very open minded to things. And uh, early in my recovery, before I came into the vision for you, um, you know, I I heard this idea of working step three. And uh, what step three says, I made a decision. So you don't have to work to make a decision. You either make a decision or you don't. And so I had to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And I spent, when I was doing this working step three in quotation marks, I spent a lot of time thinking about what does this mean? What am I going to have to do? And the book is very clear about this. Uh, we, we turn our will and our life over to the care of God by proceeding immediately to step four, making a fearless and searching moral inventory. And then admit, step five, admitting it to somebody else. And then step six, step seven, all the way to step 12. So turning my will and my life over to God is not about Thinking. It's about taking action, making a decision to take action. And the first action I have to take is proceed immediately to step four and get through these things quickly. So there's no such thing as working step three. I used to spend a lot of time reading books about spirituality, books about God when I was early in recovery because I was working step three. That is wrong. The book is very clear. I'm hopeless. I've opened the possibility that there's hope. Now I'm going to try to access that hope. I'm going to make a decision to proceed. It's only a decision. There is no working step three. It's brief contemplation and keep moving forward. I hope that's helpful.
0: Thank you, Monette M., for your question. And thank you to all who posed questions this morning. And of course, thank you, Stephen G., from Canada, for your clear and thorough presentation this morning. Truly magnificent. We appreciate your service this morning. The share ID for today's presentation, nineteen thousand and five. That's one nine zero zero five. And we're going to close now from page 164. Of course, you know it's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come